You're listening to the Dietitian Cafe RD2B podcast, brought to you by New Ultra. My name is Tracy Delestro, and I'm a second year student dietitian studying at Wrexham University. Through this podcast, we aim to share knowledge and inspire student dietitians and gain insight from knowledgeable and experienced guests. In this episode, we will explore the trend of Veganuary and the rise in vegan diets. We'll also discuss how to support patients following a vegan diet and if the vegan diet can help improve health of certain patient groups. So today, I'm delighted to be joined by registered dietitian Andrea Reimer from the Vegan Society to talk all about the vegan diet and the benefits to such alternative diets. Andrea is a registered dietitian who forms part of the nutrition team at the Vegan Society. Andrea chose to study dietetics to combine her love of food and cooking with nutritional knowledge. Some of her work involves developing nutritional resources, answering public nutrition-related queries, providing education sessions to public sector industries, creating healthy, balanced recipes and responding to media hot topics. Andrea has experience working in food and catering industries and since becoming a dietitian has specialised in hospital food services, learning disabilities and weight management. Andrea adopted a vegan lifestyle in 2014 and is now using her professional and personal skills and experiences to support the work of the Vegan Society. Without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the podcast. Hi Andrea, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi Tracy, oh thank you for having me. Oh you're very welcome. Um, so we've got a lot to discuss today um, with the, the mark of Veganuary in January. So to start off with, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became part of the Vegan Society? Yeah, so I mean, as you uh, already mentioned in that introduction there, um, yeah, so I um, actually started at the Vegan Society in um, 2021. So it was kind of mid-pandemic really, so um, obviously jobs had um, been adapted a lot, so it was a working from home role. Um, but I was just very uh, welcomed into the society um, and finally, you know, had a had a job that kind of aligned with my, my own beliefs. And prior to that, so prior to working at the Vegan Society, um, I'd worked, as you said, in white management. I've worked in um, food services um, and adult learner disabilities. So that that's, um, you know, since graduating as a dietitian, those are sort of the areas that I've, that I've specialised in. And I graduated in 2015. Um, and prior to that, I was actually um, a commie chef, um, which is why, you know, I've always had an interest in food. Um, I've worked as a commie chef for many years. Um, and then, yeah, just decided to take it that step further and um, specialise in the area of nutrition, which is which is why I chose to study um, dietetics. Oh, perfect. That's really interesting. You've had a very varied background then that, that led you here. Um, so what does the Vegan Society aim to do? Um, well, the Vegan Society is a, it's a membership organisation um, and essentially it just it just aims to, to normalise veganism um, <clears throat> in a nutshell. So, um, and that means that animals won't be used as commodities um, and animal-free alternatives sort of become the norm. Um, so, not just not just food wise but you know um in clothes so you know refining from animal materials um cosmetics so um a lot of our you know makeup and skincare or even cleaning products um you know they all contain sort of 
animal derivatives, animal ingredients. Um, yeah, so just just sort of normalising those animal-free alternatives. Um, and we actually run lots of campaigns um, as well at the Vegan Society. So I actually sit um, within that team under campaigns, policy and research. Um, and some of these campaigns are policy driven um, to support this manifesto of, you know, um, veganism just becoming the norm. An example of one of our campaigns is is called Catering for Everyone, which is obviously quite a food focused campaign um, that I have been involved in. Um, and that's that's um, essentially to to mandate a plant based option on every public sector menu, um, a nutritious plant based option that is on every public sector menu. So that includes schools, universities, um, councils, prisons. Um, yeah, so anywhere in the public sector. Oh, brilliant. Okay, so you mentioned uh, the campaign side of your role, and we've also talked in the intro about answering some of the public nutrition-related queries and um, other aspects of your role. So what other things do you cover in your role as part of the Vegan Society? Yeah, so it's quite a niche role um, but for a dietitian, you know, far different from anything I've done before because you are sort of... Um, you sort of tap into a lot of different areas and a lot of different departments. Um, so my role involves, as you said, responding to queries, whether that be by email, phone or post. And these queries, you know, just are so widespread, you know, they, they differ from day to day. Um, it could be somebody calling, um, asking about supplementation. So, you know, what, what specific supplements they should be taking to follow a nutritionally uh, well-planned vegan diet it could be um somebody talking about um their their child uh, their weaning their their child they're raising um, you know a vegan family so somebody asking about you know specific um supplements or or foods for their for their little one um it could be somebody that's that might be going into hospital and having surgery and they need to follow a low residue diet temporarily um yeah, so lots, lots of different um, health-focused um, queries that we receive from, you know, the public, even people in hospital and um, even prisoners as well that might not be um, supported by having those vegan provisions. So, yeah, we, we do support a lot of um, queries. I also provide um, outreach outreach educational sessions, which you mentioned. Um, so that could be um, doing a talk at a festival, doing a talk at um, an event, um, health and sustainability shows. It could be um, educating catering teams, um, how to, you know, upskill in the area of vegan catering, um, giving advice on, you know, um, increasing their plant-based options on their menus. Um, we've done talks to dietitians in the past just for how to, you know, um, support vegan patients, you know, both in a hospital and, and, and in the community. Um, we've given talks to GPs um, just to educate on, on veganism. Um, so, yeah, that's that sort of our outreach work. Um, also developing resources. Um, so we've got a lot of nutrient resources um, on our website including calcium, vitamin B12, iodine, um, iron. So, yeah, talking about the nutritional considerations for vegans, um, as well as different life stages as well. So we know that nutritional needs differ throughout the life cycle. And, you know, what does that look like for somebody following a vegan diet? So we've got a lot of life stage resources on our website, which I'm sort of in charge of developing and updating um, and obviously making sure that they're, they're evidence-based. 
and then my role also um, involves a lot of media work as well so such as this <laughs> um, recording podcasts might be radio interviews writing articles for magazines or even working collaboratively with um, other organizations or health charities um, so writing in their newsletter or something if they've got um, a particular uh, vegan topic in mind oh that's really varied it's interesting to hear about the the broadness of it really so from patient related to education uh, specific to catering so it's um it sounds like I don't know how you have the time to do everything that you do to be fair um but it sounds really interesting so you're probably aware it, it feels that the vegan diet is increasing rapidly in popularity over the last recent years um is this the case do you have any statistics yeah so um yeah, it's true. It is. It is um increasing. Um, we don't have any specific figures for this year. Um, but we know that um, Veganuary is growing year on year. Um, so I think it started in two thousand and fourteen. There was just over three thousand signups. Um, and then in twenty twenty three, there's over seven hundred thousand signups. And we know that um just from speaking to vegans that a lot of um people started off with Veganuary before they sort of you know committed to to a vegan diet and lifestyle so the fact that veganuary is growing year on year is a good indicator that that veganism is as well and although the the um covid-19 pandemic has um unfortunately prevented us from um accessing a, an exact figure um on the percentage of vegans since 2019 um but we do know that in between 2014 and 2019 veganism actually quadrupled from um, around 150,000 to to over 600,000. Um, so we know that it's grown year on year and um, we're in a position now to um, continue carrying out this research. So we'll have um, the vegan side to carry out a big survey of how many vegans there are. Um, so next year we'll, we'll have a more updated figure. Um, but in 2022, it was thought that about 1.35% of the adult population were, were vegan, which equates to um, more than 700,000. Um, and that's just UK figures. Wow, that's a that's a lot, isn't it? I didn't it didn't realize. <laughs> yeah. Did um did going a bit off topic? Did did the pandemic? How did it change figures? Did it change figures in ve- for veganism in any way? Did it go up? Did it go down? Yeah, I mean, um, from from the data that we have, um, we know that a lot of people did reduce their meat consumption during the COVID pandemic um and a lot of so from a market insight point of view a lot of um plant-based product market sales did did rise um so that obviously that doesn't necessarily tell us that there's more vegans but it does tell us that you know people are eating more vegan foods um yeah oh that's yeah that's really interesting um so do you think that there is any stigma attached to following a vegan diet and if so what do we do as health professionals to combat this? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, yeah, there there is a stigma attached to to just the word vegan, um, unfortunately, and um, many people, and we've seen this from from data as well, that a lot of people actually would identify as plant based rather than vegan because of this this stigma that's attached. Um, but actually, plant based and, and vegan mean mean different things. Um, Veganism is often seen as a lifestyle choice, 
Um, and many don't know that it's it's actually a philosophical belief that that's protected um, under human rights and equality law. Whereas plant based is someone who eats predominantly um, plants, and that might often be associated with human or, or planetary health for their reasons for doing that. And although obviously veganism does encompass human and planetary health as well, it, it, it extends beyond diet um, seeking. So the definition of veganism is actually to, um, seeking to exclude as far as possible and practicable all forms of exploitation and cruelty to animals. And that's for food, clothing or, or any other purpose. Um, so as I mentioned, the vegan society do promote the use of, of animal free alternatives to, to spread a more compassionate way of living um, where animals aren't, you know, they aren't, they're not harmed in our choice of lifestyle. So it, it would be great to hear people um, using the term vegan in a more positive light because um, it is just sort of a compassionate lifestyle choice. Um, and then just to just to sort of combat this within our profession, I think as um, with any dietetic consultation, we, we should leave any perceived judgments at the door um, and just focus on the patient in front of us. Um, so if that patient happens to be vegan, again, just, just providing the best patient care um, to meet their needs as we would with anybody, whether they're following a religious um, diet and may need dietary adaptations, um, it, it shouldn't be any different for veganisms. And, you know, just always ensuring that that consultation is patient-led um, so you, you sort of leaving your your own beliefs and judgments at the door and, and being led led by that patient. Um, and yeah, if you don't have the resources or information to hand, then that's fine. You you can be open with your patient about that and say, you know, I don't know, but I will find out. Um, and the vegan site does actually have some valuable resources to, to support that, as I've mentioned. Um, and if you can't find what you're looking for, our inbox is always open, which is nutrition at Vegan Society. Um, so we, we we support a lot of um, people that might have vegan patients and, and aren't sure um, with specific queries. You know, we're there to support that. Yeah, it's really interesting, uh, like you said in the beginning and just now as well, how many skincare, beauty and also cleaning products um, are not, vegan friendly you know it's you, until you look beyond the diet um obviously as student dietitians that's what we kind of zoom in on but it's so much more than that so it's it's good that you've highlighted that and made people think a little bit more and um, because it's something that I know people myself included don't always check um, and it is really important so yeah that's that's a uh, that's uh, definitely something to take away um so with regards to the current cost of living crisis and everything that we're going through at the moment um, worldwide, really, do you think that the vegan diet is more expensive? Can it be more expensive than a non-vegan diet? And if so, why is this the case? Yeah, I mean, um, I suppose there's not one vegan diet is though it's 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 how you choose to follow a vegan diet so of course it, it could be more expensive but it, it it's not necessarily more expensive than any other diet um it depends where you shop it depends what you choose to buy um are you buying branded products non-branded products um yeah and many convenience foods or free from products do come with a price tag and sometimes especially people that are new to veganism or or aren't vegan themselves but are doing shopping for their you know, uh, people that they live with that, that might be following a vegan lifestyle, um, they might tend to go to the free from section, which does come with a premium 
price tag a lot of the time um and it's not it, it's not really a necessity to buy from that free from section as a vegan um also um in our nutritional messaging we know that selective supplementation is important for vegans as well and if somebody um you know doesn't doesn't know what supplements to consider on a vegan diet they could be potentially buying a lot of different um products and that's leading to more expense there also vegan meat alternative products um can be quite expensive and aren't aren't necessarily needed in a well-planned vegan diet um you know they're optional so yeah all of these things that that um can be considered um more expensive for a vegan diet but again isn't isn't sort of um a mandatory part of of vegan living yeah i suppose like you said it all comes down to planning and also knowledge looking at resources on how to make sure that you're getting everything you need without having to go down the free from aisles and things where maybe things may be more expensive so um and nutritional planning is key in, in, in any diet that you follow so yeah it's it's the same if you're following a vegan diet really yeah so if for anyone who is maybe worried about cost for any any reasons what would your your top tips be for getting a nutritious vegan diet if people are on a, a really strict budget? I think, um, you know, shopping around for things, you know, for your staples, um, like your quality sources of protein, including tofu, beans and lentils. Sometimes you can buy them in bulk for cheaper. Also shopping in Asian supermarkets, if you have one nearby, um, a lot of the time can be cheaper than, than in your regular supermarket or even in the world food oils as well. In your, in your um, local supermarket, sometimes um, you'll notice that they, the um, these types of foods are a lot cheaper. Um, I think choosing... Um, so. Fortified milk alternatives um, are a really good source of calcium, you know, making that smart swap from dairy to um, plant, plant-based plant drinks. Um, and sometimes their branded products are quite expensive. So choosing supermarket-owned brands is, is perfectly fine. Um, you know, you're cutting the costs down and you're still getting those, um, meeting those nutritional needs with that product. Um, as with any diet, making use of tinned or frozen fruit and vegetables is a good way to um, cut costs. Just just trying to aim for the ones in natural spring water or um, natural juices with your fruit, so that you're not um, you're minimising your salt and sugar content there. Um, if you're able to do so, batch cooking and freezing food is a good way to prevent food waste. So again, another cost-effective strategy there. And then onto supplementation. Um, so there's certain nutrients deserving attention in a vegan diet that people might want to consider supplementing. And actually, um, the Vegan Society do market a, a supplement containing these nutrients, um, which is called Veg One. Um, and it's it's a cost effective um, form of supplementation. It's one of the cheapest on the market. As far as I'm aware, it is the cheapest on the market um, with these specific nutrients in, which works out at approximately eight pence a day um, for anyone following a vegan diet. So, um, yeah, selective supplementation alongside a well-planned vegan diet doesn't need to be expensive if you can find the right product. Um, And we've actually got a campaign called Live Vegan for Less as well, um, which, you know, includes budget-friendly tips, including um, snacking, eating out, um, 
and even eating with intolerances we've got some blogs on there so somebody that um might have a nut allergy or somebody with celiac disease we've got some blogs on how you can eat vegan on a budget despite having these you know health conditions yeah no it's um it's interesting that you kind of tick loads of boxes there because it's you know looking at things like food waste with your tinned products allergies the you know vegan you tick in a lot of things in one so um that's really useful to to learn some top tips um so obviously what we like we said before you're um you're vegan yourself since 2014 do you mind me asking what were the reasons why you chose to to follow this diet yeah um so purely it's quite a short answer really just just purely um for my love of animals so when I sort of connected the two um of you know what was on my plate and my lifestyle in general um and that kind of um yeah when I connected that to to animal suffering I just kind of couldn't revert back (laughs) so yeah that that's my main reason um and there is you know some sort of documentaries that that did point that out to me um that I just come across on on um social media before netflix was available or before i had netflix um yeah social media um kind of put me to these things and then i kind of delved deeper into it and just thought what can i do to not contribute to this um so that yeah Yeah, yeah it's interesting like you said about like the netflix documentary social media everything these days on any topic has such an influential role um, especially for our younger generations um, so I'm presuming that people may be starting a vegan diet younger or alternative diets younger because of the exposure um, which is you know social media has its perks and it has its disadvantages but I think in terms of as long as it's the correct knowledge and evidence-based knowledge then I think it's um, a really good way for people to kind of get some ideas really um and also I think something like veganism isn't really a lot of people like you said a lot of people think it's this it's the same as plant-based um whereas it's completely different like we've already spoke about so um yeah now there's there's also lots of people that choose to adopt a vegan diet for health reasons um, is there compelling evidence to suggest that a vegan diet does improve health? And if so, what are the main benefits in terms of following a, a vegan diet? Yeah, so um, there's there's um, the Epic o- Oxford study does sort of um, look at this. Um, it's a sort of longitudinal study, so there's there's always evidence coming coming from that. Um, and so far, we know that you know there's very strong evidence that a vegan diet um, is associated with a reduced risk of, of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and even some forms of, of cancer, including um, certain digestive cancers. Um, and I think the the reason, you know, the main benefits of, of following a vegan diet, um, which is why it's associated with, with these health outcomes, is um, there'll be a massive reduction in, in your saturated fat, um, so most of our saturated fat intake does come from from animal products, um, so uh, meat and meat and dairy. Um, so you know, naturally reducing your intake of saturated fat by eating more plants um, consequently lowers your plasma LDL cholesterol, which then um, 
essentially lowers your risk of heart disease. Also, the higher intake of dietary fibre, which is associated with um, with vegan diets, can in fact um, lower your risk of things like diverticular disease and possibly other GI disorders as well. Um, and we know that more fibre is associated with healthy gut flora, which um, there's evidence that that can support, you know, immune health as well. So there's a, there's a few reasons why, um, yeah, following a vegan diet could have potential um, positive health outcomes. But as we know, with any diet, it depends how you follow it. So when we're talking about this, we're talking about well-planned vegan diets where, you know, you're swapping out your animal proteins for um, alternative sources of nutrition, um, you know, such as your quality proteins, your tofu, your lentils, your beans, your, um, you know, having a plant-rich diet and not just sort of swapping for these ultra-processed um, foods that we know can come with um, an unhealthy nutritional profile. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you talked about the um, the components and the profile of, of vegan foods compared to like a regular, um, the regular foods. Um so one of the things we touched you touched on was the 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 fat content and things which is great that it's it's lower for less health complications. So can vegan products actually include fat, sugar and salt more fat, sugar and salt than their regular counterparts in order to replicate the taste of the original item how because they do differ in taste or can differ in taste quite significantly. Yeah, I mean um I am aware that, you know, some highly processed vegan or accidentally vegan products can be high in salt, sugar, fat, and, and including saturated fats. So um, some products might use palm or coconut oil for them um, to replicate a texture or flavour. And obviously, um, we know that these products often are high in salt as well. Um, so when we're talking about sausages, burgers, it doesn't matter if they're vegan or not, they're, they're not um, generally healthy um you know they are quite highly processed foods and will have more um flavor enhancers in there which which aren't good for us um so um i suppose it's possible that some products might have more fat than they um, than non-vegan products but i don't have any particular examples um to be honest and as i mentioned before they, they're not compulsory in vegan diets but they can serve a purpose you know um for you know if you're eating out and and the only option on the menu is a vegan burger or something um you know but you you know you you're going out with friends and you it's that social factor so you might opt for for that once in a while and um moderation is is, is key uh, obviously sometimes um these highly processed foods can be convenient. You know, you just whack them in the oven, they're quick um, when time is limited. So as with all foods that are, you know, highly processed and, and contain a lot of fat, salt and sugar, moderation is key. And um, what what I like to use is the 80-20 rule when when um, discussing the subject of these, these types of foods. So, you know, 80% of the time you are following, um, you know, getting most of your nutrition from whole plant foods and then that other 20% um you've got a bit of room for, for these types of foods um for convenience purposes really um and the vegan society do support a predominantly whole food diet when we're talking about well planned vegan diets um which includes fortified foods and and selective supplementation as well yeah i think in general 
you know, there's a lot more work around whole foods and less processed foods. I think that goes in hand with any any diet, really. So I think people are being a bit more educated or made aware of um, of these issues, which is great. Um, so we touched on earlier about the benefits of a vegan diet. So would you say there are any particular patient groups that would benefit more from following a vegan diet? Um, yeah, possibly. So as we mentioned about, you know, the potential health benefits of following well-planned vegan diets, um, then there are a few patient groups that, that could that could benefit. I mean, we know as a nation that we're not consuming enough fruit and veg um, or fibre and we are having too much saturated fat. So a well-planned vegan diet could actually support the nation to reach these targets. Um, you know, replacing um, meat with, with quality plant proteins such as tofu, beans and lentils provides um, a, a wealth of health opportunities there. And then due to the association um, of a lower risk of type 2 diabetes and heart disease um, than people with type 2 diabetes, pre-diabetes, people with high cholesterol or other risk factors for heart disease might benefit from, you know, following well-planned vegan diets. And we know that type 2 diabetes remission is directly associated with weight loss. Um, and evidence does show on average that that vegans have a lower BMI than than those that follow an omnivorous diet so um a vegan diet could even support with with type 2 diabetes remission as well well that's really interesting i think it covers a, a benefits for a range of different patient groups for for practicing healthcare professionals so would you say on the contrast of that would you say there are any patient groups where a vegan diet is maybe contraindicated and on the flip side of being promoted for would you say there are any patient groups that maybe shouldn't follow a vegan diet um i think we've kind of got to be careful with with how we um talk about this because obviously when we're as dietitians as mentioned before our consultation should be um patient-led so it, we're, we're sort of going off what their goals are and what's realistic for them um some patient groups might find it uh, more difficult than others to meet nutritional needs on a vegan diet um, but you know with any diet adaptations can be made to to ensure that suitability for that uh, specific patient um, and due to vegan diets being you know less abundant in healthcare systems and um, you know just public health education um, there are limitations in, in inpatient settings in particular um, particularly for those requiring nutrition support. So it might be more difficult um, to meet those nutritional needs for somebody that's following a vegan diet, especially somebody that requires tube feeding. So we know that there's not actually um, a vegan tube feed that's available in the UK. The closest one is um, a soya-based feed, but it still contains animal-derived vitamin D. Um, and yeah, so, so for somebody that does require tube feeding they might have to compromise um there i am aware that there's um there's there might be other ways such as blended diets could be discussed but essentially we we need to be realistic as to um how we can meet these nutritional needs and be transparent with the patient so that they can make that informed decision themselves um another patient group that that i considered for this is um I'm no expert in eating disorders at all, but 
I am aware that some people with eating disorders um, identify as vegan and might have to prioritise their health over their philosophical beliefs um, in the absence of any sort of vegan inclusive nutrition support within this this setting. Um, and although it's a complex topic, it can be hugely upsetting um, for somebody to compromise these beliefs. Um, essentially, we need to, you know, think about what's going to cause the least harm in these situations and, and act in the patient's best interest, but also recognising you know, that they have the final say unless they're deemed to, you know, not have capacity or, you know, they're under the Mental Health um, Act. So, yeah, those are the sort of um, the considerations that I would have um, where it might be a bit more difficult for somebody following a vegan diet to, to meet their nutritional needs. And it might be that they might have to compromise temporarily until they're, you know, back in a um, a fit health state where they can, um, yeah, go back to to um, following a vegan diet 100%. Um, and also some considerations around um, these groups that, that might not be able to um, follow a vegan diet in certain situations is obviously, as we've discussed previously, um, the vegan philosophy um, extends beyond diet, so there's still other things that they can be doing to to support that movement, um, even if they have to compromise their diet temporarily. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting, and I think it gives us a bit of thought provoking there for you know they they may have to prioritize certain patient groups may have to prioritize their health in other ways um but like you said i suppose there's other ways that you can support vegan um veganism in in other ways so uh, yeah that's something to to definitely consider and i know a student dietitians probably wouldn't have thought about the the difficulties and the complications because it can be a very very sensitive subject um especially when they're very strong and valid beliefs as well um, so you you did touch on the tube feeding, how there was nothing currently suitable for for vegan patients, um, which I I suppose is really difficult um, because it's you're then trying to fulfil a clinical need. Um, however, it, it, there's nothing on the market, and I presume it's very difficult to to produce something that is vegan friendly. Um, in terms of of a a tube feed and so on on the back of that for food first approaches and if if we're talking about people who aren't um having tube feeding so for those um who are following a um a vegan diet what are the top tips for food first approaches um for in a clinical setting for dietitians to kind of enhance and um support the patient who may be vegan in a clinical setting um yeah i think two of the most basic um things that any inpatient setting can do um for for vegans well actually just just have available just have readily available um in case you have a vegan patient is having them um, fortified soya milk and vegan spread readily available um at the very minimum um and just because then like there's there's so many options with just those two products like somebody can at least have um 
a jacket potato with beans that if they've got you know that vegan spread and it's not just a dry jacket potato um, and obviously vegan spread can be used for everybody um so it's not something that they have to buy in specially um and then having that fortified soya milk um you can make nourishing drinks from that a lot of cocoa powder or hot chocolate is accidentally vegan um so they could have hot chocolate they could have a milky coffee they can have a, um, a tea you know so a lot of drinks they can, you can um make custard with the milk as well so they've got a, um, a dessert option there um a lot of custard powders are actually usually are accidentally vegan as well so providing you just make that up with soya milk you've got a vegan option there um they can have porridge, cereals, you know what I mean? So you, there's just a lot of options just from having those two products. Again, with the vegan spread, they've got toast um, for, for breakfast or beans on toast or toast with um, butter and jam, you know. So I think at the very minimum, having um, fortified soya milk and, and um, vegan spread readily available. Um, I think all the things that we consider for, can consider for like food-first approaches is um, having vegan cheese um, to to you know just as a as a topping for their meals you know um to fortify that meal so adding some extra calories in there unfortunately vegan cheese um a lot of the um varieties aren't a source of protein so it's purely to get more calories in there a lot of them are based on on coconut oil um and you know if the demand's not particularly high for that you can um get grated varieties keep it in the freezer and just take out batches at a time to prevent that food waste um I'm aware that a lot of hospitals now do use, um, you know, uh, um, ready meals. Um, so, you know, speaking to your nominated supplier about what vegan options you've got. Um, and a lot of the time they will have higher energy and protein um, options as well. So, you know, discussing those and making sure that you've got some in stock. Um, obviously, a lot of them are frozen and then um, sort of <clears throat> reheated um at meal service so um just just having some options in the freezer again you, you they're gonna last a long time in the freezer so um not really contributing to food waste there but just making sure that you've got them available um having vegan mayonnaise again anybody can have vegan mayonnaise it doesn't necessarily have to be vegan so um having that um cond as a condiment so that people can add it to their salads or their meals um having some ambient products in um, is a good way because again they'll last a long time on the shelf you can you can have them readily available um so ambient products including like jellies vegan jellies which are good for hydration um vegan dessert pots you can get ambient varieties which um are fortified with calcium and some b vitamins as well um and you know they sort of give the same nutrition as a yogurt but don't have to be stored in the freezer so have a longer shelf life um Vegan suitable biscuits, a lot of accidentally vegan biscuits include like your ginger nuts, your rich teas, your um, hobnobs, bourbon biscuits. So having these things um, readily available. And also silken tofu, which is the tofu that you get in the carton, that's an ambient product. You can um, add this to soups uh, as a valuable protein option. Um, you can fortify soups with it. You can add it to sauces. You could even add it to sandwiches and have like your... Um, you know, sort of an egg mayo um, sandwich made with tofu, so a tofu mayo sandwich. Um, and also nutritional yeast. Um, and if people haven't heard of that, it's it's kind of like um, 
it's a ambient product. It look it comes in sort of like a gravy tub, um, and that's fortified with a lot of vitamins and minerals, including vitamin B twelve, um, and it has um, protein in it as well. I think it's about two grams of protein per tablespoon. So just even adding that onto meals, having that on the shelves, it's gonna last a long time. Um, so with your gravies, um, um, people can add that to, to their meals as a topping or you can even add it to sauces or soups, stir it in. And that's that's just a way of fortifying some of some of the meals. And then um, vegan uh, finger foods, sorry, suitable for vegans, which are a lot of other people might, might um, eat that are non, not vegan. Onion barges, spring rolls, um, pita with hummus, crackers and vegan cheese or crackers and hummus, you know. Everybody might like these types of snacks, so having them available that just happen to be suitable for vegans um, is a good way to, yeah, um, get that nutrition into people that might have a small appetite and, you know, just fancy those those little snack-type foods. Yeah, there's some uh, some good tips there, and I think uh, it also highlights the importance of having a good working relationship with your catering department as well and having those alternative snacks readily available um which can often be challenging in a clinical setting but you know when you talked about the ambient storage which obviously may have a longer shelf life and the the I like the way that you said about the accidental vegan because it just shows how it it isn't as hard as as people may think it is and like you said a lot of the snacks are vegan friendly and you wouldn't even think it it's it's um and you know getting the protein from alternative sources as well so that was really interesting so um and hopefully with with regards to like the tube feeding element um as vegan diets and other specialized diets increase hopefully there will be more availability like we've seen um with with other products and it's it should be just a growing market then um as more and more people do become vegan um so hopefully that's that's the key. And <laughs> um, so as future dietitians, uh, we're likely to be managing patients for various reasons who may be new to following a vegan diet um, or long-standing vegan diets. So in terms of um, nutritional considerations and provision for for vegan patients in clinical settings and beyond and um, what are the key nutritional considerations that we need to be aware of for those that are following a vegan diet yeah so um for anyone following a vegan diet it's obviously important to check um whether their diet is nutritionally balanced um so following the usual principles when you when you sort of take in a diet history including the main food groups um portion sizes weekdays versus weekends etc um, but for vegans there's, there are some nutrients that deserve attention um, in, in plant-based diets um, and these nutrients are iodine, selenium, vitamin b12 and, and vitamin d. Vitamin d of course is not exclusive to vegans that's that's sort of a nutrient deserving attention for anybody um, that doesn't have sunlight all year round shall we say. Um, so yeah Iodine and selenium are minerals that, that plants don't really rely on for growth, um, so they're less abundant in, in plant-based diets. Um, so the main sources of iodine and selenium usually come from dairy, meat and fish. Um, but there are vegan sources available, so for iodine um, you can include fortified 
plant-based dairy alternatives some of them are fortified with iodine so it's worth checking labels um but we know that not all of these plant-based milks um do have iodine added also some seaweed varieties might contain iodine but because the variability of of um this is it, it means that you know it's not really a reliable source to have seaweed as a source of iodine um can actually be dangerous because you know some seaweed varieties such as kelp will have um a, a lot of iodine may have a lot of iodine and then um it can be damaging for you know thyroid health um so i think one of the most reliable source of iodine if you can't get it from a plant-based um dairy alternative is, is a supplement um and for sel selenium what's considered a rich source of selenium in vegan diets is Brazil nuts. Um, and there's also a small amount of selenium found in like tofu, beans and lentils as well. Um, so just a couple of Brazil nuts might be enough to meet your daily needs, having a couple a day. Um, and the reason being is that selenium soil content in the UK and, and in Europe is actually quite low. So um, a lot of our, you know, wheat in particular, um, it won't be rich in selenium, whereas other places like Canada or products that use Canadian wheat flour might be richer in selenium. So us in the UK, we can't really rely on those products as a, as a rich source of selenium. So if you don't eat nuts, um, again, supplementation is your most reliable option. Um, and then, as I mentioned, vitamin B12 is another nutrient um, deserving attention, and that's just because it's not produced by plants. Um, and actually fortified foods or, or supplementation is um, the only proven reliable um, options for vegans. Um, so we recommend either you, you eat two to three portions of fortified foods a day to meet your targets, which can include um, fortified dairy alternatives or breakfast cereals or nutritional yeast, um, or you can take a supplement. Um, and our recommendations are actually based on um, international and national evidence um, so we recommend supplementing at least 10 micrograms a day or, or 2,000 micrograms a week. And um, although that sounds like a massive, um, you know, range there, 10 micrograms a day to 2,000 micrograms a week, it's just because B12 is better absorbed in frequent small amounts. Um, so, you know, the less often you take it, the higher the dosage you need to take. Um, and there's also no upper limits for B12 as well. There's no toxic effects shown. So um, there's no harm in combining, you know, eating fortified foods and taking a supplement as well. Um, and then, yeah, as mentioned with vitamin D, um, everyone in the UK um, should consider supplementing vitamin D in the winter months as a minimum, um, just because our primary source of vitamin D comes from sunlight. So we can't make vitamin D between um, October and April. Um, and then some groups would actually consider all year round supplementation. Um, so people that don't expose their skin to sunlight or people with um, darker skin tones. Um, and then just a, an important consideration with vitamin D supplementation for vegans is that vitamin D2 um, or vitamin D3 from, from lichen um, are the only suitable varieties for vegans. So we know that a lot of vitamin D3 comes from lanolin, lanolin which um, is derived from sheep's wool. So that, that won't be suitable for vitamins. So just an important consideration when you're looking for um, supplementation for vegans, um, vitamin D2 or D3 from lichen are the suitable sources. And all of those nutrients that I've just mentioned is what is contained in our veg one supplement. So you've got kind of a handy 
supplement that's specifically designed for vegans um, to, to meet these nutritional needs. Oh, thank you for that. And I know you've also said that the Vegan Society website has a lot of resources in general for um, our listeners to to go and have a look at in terms of a vegan diet. So we can link that in the show notes as well for people to take a look at, whether it's for themselves, for patients or so on. Um, but in terms of resources, do you think that there is sufficient evidence-based resources in other areas for those following a vegan diet that they may what they can refer to um no <laughs> i think it's definitely something that's lacking in in um you know public health settings is having those um reliable resources for, for somebody to yeah to access that that's following a vegan diet i think it can be difficult to, to get that information um it is definitely getting better um and obviously with the growth of veganism, resources are sort of, yeah, um, getting more and more available. Um, yeah, so as I mentioned, yeah, the Vegan Society does have um, resources. If you go to vegansociety.com forward slash nutrition, that's where you'll sort of find a list of, of all of our resources there. Um, and I think just some sort of top tips, um, for somebody following a vegan diet is you know to make sure that you you're making those smart nutritional swaps so you know when you're cutting out dairy making sure you've got you um, replacing those with calcium fortified dairy alternatives so that you're not missing out on calcium um when you're you know if you're not eating oily fish then um getting that omega-3 um rich source from from things like um, walnuts chia seeds hemp seeds um so yeah, some from rich source of nuts and seeds, and if if they're the sorts of things that you that you don't eat, then then considering a supplement. Um, and again, if you're when you stop eating, you know, animal proteins, making sure that you're consuming quality sources of plant proteins, so not things like jackfruit and mushrooms, which <laughs> are often um, you know made into into plant-based meat alternatives, but these these come from the vegetable group, so they're not going to be a quality source of protein. So making sure that you are um, including things like beans, peas, lentils, nuts and seeds, tofu, tempeh, um, yeah, all of these quality sources of protein when you when you sort of um, refining from eating meat and fish. And um, a lot of quality sources of plant proteins are also rich in iron and zinc as well. So, you you know, you're getting those um, essential minerals through that and um, teaming the, that with um, eating a rich source of vitamin C can help to enhance that iron absorption. So when you're um, getting iron from plants, it's in a non-heme um, form, which tends to be um, less bioavailable. So it's not absorbed as efficiently as it would be from heme iron, which you get from animal products. Um, but a way to enhance that absorption is by um, eating with a rich source of vitamin C. So things like Brussels sprouts, um, broccoli, you know, um, tomatoes and fruits, citrus fruits, kiwi, berries as well, strawberries and um, bell peppers so yeah as long as you're having a good variety of food um variety is key really for for meeting all those nutritional needs yeah that's really interesting and um i think um 
you you, t- you talked earlier about some of the myths as well. Um, sorry, the um, we mentioned about how a lot of people may think that vegan diets are more expensive, whereas, like you said, the planning, looking at alternatives, taking the time, education, looking at resources, these evidence based resources available, and seeing how actually a lot of these myths are just that they're just myths um and i'm sure like you said earlier you've come into contact with some gps and other healthcare professionals and you've probably heard quite a lot of statements that they believe about vegan diets um can you give us an example and do some myth busting for us now of any weird and wonderful things that you've you've heard over your time yeah i think i think the main thing is it well first of all that you can't meet your nutritional needs on a vegan diet that's that's one thing or you know that a vegan diet's not natural um i mean what is natural what (laughs) um you know as a species we've evolved through centuries so uh, you can't say that something that was normal um 100 200 years ago is is normal now um so yeah that those are the terms that um are a bit frustrating um, and also just that it's a restrictive diet. So, and I see this even in healthcare resources talking about um, when you follow a restrictive diet, such as a vegan diet, <laughs> always used as an example of, of a restrictive diet. And um, yeah, so many people see a vegan diet as cutting out things rather than um, adding things in. And I think a vegan diet, it's, it's that opportunity to explore a lot of new foods. And, you know, you, 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 probably eating a lot more foods than than you would have um prior to to going vegan so it's it's far from restrictive um in in my eyes and well in in most people that that do eat a vegan diet it's far from restrictive so yeah it's it's not the best um description (laughs) it's very inaccurate um to say that it's a restrictive diet and that's that's a phrase that i hear far too often Mm, and it's a shame because like you said what was relevant hundreds of years ago isn't relevant now. Society is changing every day in every aspect. So, um, yeah, the fact that it's maybe a lot of people don't class it as a normal diet, because like you said, what is a normal diet? What, you know, it's the same with anything. What is normal? Um, it's, uh, no, it's really interesting to, to hear that. And also to, to hear about, um, how easy it can be um with planning which is key to any diet um especially alternative diets um so for anyone listening who is keen to learn more about vegan diets for whether it's for themselves or for their patients what advice would you give to help them and where would you advise for them to start with their research or information finding um i think signing up to the vegan site membership is is a good start i mean our membership start from from two pound a month so it's it's um quite affordable and we actually have a youth membership which is which is free um up until the age of 26 so um you know a lot of uh, that that might be a lot of students that would benefit or school-aged children that wanted to learn more about vegan diets they can they can sort of access our membership and um benefits for you know free of charge um yeah and obviously the the advantage of of being a member is that you'll hear more about our work the work that we're doing um you'll have access to um 
some of our webinars and um, research publications. I mean, these are all readily available anyway, but you'll have access to sort of our newsletters where you'll just be keeping up to date with these things, really. Um, we also have, um, which is exclusive to two members, um, a quarterly magazine that comes out called The Vegan, um, which again, we, it will update you on um, a lot of areas of, of veganism um, worldwide. We have, yeah, a lot of... Um, cultural resources, um, recipes, um, and then we have a um, Nutrition Hub Hot Topic updates as well on our membership area of the website, which just talks about um, a hot topic of the um, of the year, really. Um, so we, we update that about every three months. Um, so currently it's, it's um, the topic of World B12 Day, which is tomorrow. So it's all about B12, which is... Um, a particular nutrient that, that definitely deserves attention because um, there's so much conflicting information around it. So we've sort of condensed um, a lot of information into that hot topic. Um, so I think, yeah, um, membership is is a good um, place to, to get all of your information in one and keep up to date with those things. Um, our nutrition and health web pages, as I've mentioned, nutrition, um, sorry, vegansighted.com forward slash nutrition. And um, there's a few websites as well. So there's um, veganhealth.org, which is um, run by um, US registered dietitians. Um, so, yeah, they have a lot of international recommendations on there um, and a lot of comprehensive information and studies, um, which people can, you know, find out more information from. And I think, you know, just to get more information about veganism in general, um, I think, yeah, if you, you can't really beat a lived experience, can you? So I think <laughs> maybe um, if you're wondering about it or interested in it, signing up for Veganuary, or it doesn't have to be in January, you could just, yeah, literally try a vegan diet for a few weeks. Um, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You can um, just maybe replace the, all of your dinners with, with um, vegan options or, or breakfasts or lunches or or do certain days where you you know follow a vegan diet and you know you you're never going to get as much knowledge and experience as, as as living it so i think it's a, it's a good idea and good opportunity to to try and do that and i know if you do do it in january obviously you've got a lot of me, more resources to hand because vegan veganuary is in you know the the month where you you're going to have all of that information so um yeah, I think that that would be a good place to start. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think a lot of the time it's the fear of the unknown. But like you said, Veganuary is a perfect time, starting small and then seeing where it goes and just trying it, I think, is is the the main thing. So um, that's a re- some really good information. Um, so in terms of the vegan society itself, we talked about society in general that as the world is changing and everything like that. Do you think the organisation ex- itself will evolve and what do you think the future holds for the vegan society? Um, it's hard to say, really. I mean, I'd love to see veganism more mainstream, um, that be included in our food systems, public health agendas. Um, and of course, as a society, we evolve. To, to the situation in front of us so our, our messaging is always going to be evidence-based um with the with the sole aim of ending animal exploitation um so a large part of that is educating the public on what a vegan future looks like for health 
um, human health and planetary health. Um, and we're actually celebrating our eightieth anniversary next year. Um, so yeah, celebrating eighty years of of the vegan society. So I know we've got a lot of ideas in the pipeline for you know how um, the vegan society is going to grow. Um, so yeah, watch this space. Oh, that's really interesting. The fact that it's eighty years and perhaps a good time for a lot of people to explore and um, take advantage of of all the promotion and everything that you will be doing um, on top of the promotion that you're already doing. So that's perfect. Um, so one question I like to, to finish off asking all of my guests is, as an experienced dietitian yourself and knowing everything that you know now, what top tips would you give to current student dietitians that are on the beginning steps of their journey? Um, I think look at the patient in front of you um, when you, you know, doing your consultations, um, just treating everybody individually. So one size doesn't fit all. Um, and that's the same if, you know, vegan, one vegan would be completely different to another vegan. So, um, yeah, just treating everybody individually and making sure that, that, that your consultations are patient led. So what does what does your patient want to get out of it um, and not? necessarily what you want to get out of it and I think if you're always led by the patient you can't you can't um really go wrong um and then yeah um patients put their trust in you I know um from speaking to uh, obviously a lot of vegans and a lot of um queries that we get in um a lot of <laughs> a lot of vegans when I suggest you know you you need to see a dietitian for one-to-one -one support they're very reluctant to do that and that's because they've had bad experiences in the past um, or have not been you know supported with their um, vegan diet and lifestyle so just being as supportive as possible even if it doesn't align with what you believe in yourself um you know what can you do to to help that patient in front of you um and again, it's always okay to say that you don't know the answer to a question. Let me go away and find out for you. Don't pretend that you know, because that's definitely going to, um, you know, break that rapport and, and lose trust, um, which is something you don't want. We want people to to um, be open and honest with us in order to make those those changes for, you know, to support people's health and, and nutritional health. Um, so learning from your mistakes as well as as much as your accomplishments learning from your mistakes just as much yeah I think that's it that's really useful to know because I know everyone makes mistakes and like you say just owning up or even saying you're not sure you'll find out I think that says a lot um about work you know your work ethic really um and like you said the I know you mentioned earlier about the judgment part of it as training health professionals and then qualified health professionals were always told to leave that out the door no judgment uh, with with anything so I think that's vital for for any patient so thank you um for for your words of wisdom um so Andrea thank you so much for your time um, and for sharing your valuable experience with us today I think that you've certainly helped us to navigate how we can support patients who adopt a vegan diet and how it's helpful to know more about the vegan society what you do how you support patients and health professionals in a variety of ways um and also making us think further than just diet as well which I know as I said before we kind of home in on so um 
I think it's uh, definitely been uh, interesting for everyone. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Andrea's social media handles will be linked in the show notes for you to take a look at. A huge thank you once again to New Ultra for making this podcast possible. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Dietitian Cafe RD to B podcast, then please consider subscribing and leaving a review of five star rating so that we can reach out to even more RD to Bs for future shows. You can also follow New Ultra on social media at New Ultra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you for listening. Our next episode will be out soon, so please come back and take a listen.